This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Those of you that are here, hello. Uh, those of you that are with us online, hello. Uh, just to let you know, my name is Dee Bacon, Senior Minister here, and uh, it falls upon me to guide us through our conversation, our journey as we uh, enter into uh, the Word of God and doing a journey through the letter that the brother of Jesus wrote, James. Before we jump in, I just want to reiterate the fact that uh, it would be really important for you to uh, go online and check out the opportunities to serve, opportunities to be able to fulfill the calling to love our neighbor in the various ways that we will do that. We serve not because we want to do good things, not because we believe uh, that simply activism is going to change the world. We serve because it gives us an opportunity to demonstrate God's love that then provides uh, us the opportunity to share about God's love in the message of hope that Jesus gives us, that through Christ we have salvation. And God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's the why to our good deeds. Also, those of you at home, I want to let you know that if you have kids, elementary age kids, preschool kids, um, Lisa Davis and her team does a really good job to provide something for you online. I believe if you go to our Facebook page, Mount Carmel Facebook page, and then go into the groups, look for Kid City Parents, and there you'll find uh, a lesson there and uh, activities there that you can uh, participate in that keeps them in the loop, keeps them with us in our time together as we gather and really helps to equip you to be able to uh, teach your kids about Jesus, which is really one of the big things about parenting, right? Uh, those of us with kids. So uh, the, if you've been around here a little bit, I'll let you know that um, I've developed a love for baseball. I didn't originally know anything about baseball. I grew up in Zimbabwe, Africa. We did not play baseball. We played a game called Rounders that was primarily for the girls to play, um, but that was about it. I do remember one time I went to watch a game of fast-pitch softball with men, and that was in Africa. That somehow stuck in my mind. But I never grew up uh, playing baseball, wasn't familiar with baseball, but now have developed a love for baseball. I really do believe it's America's game in so many ways, and my boys play baseball and are uh, playing baseball at college. One of the things that they told me, and I've come to understand this, believe this for sure, they say the hardest thing to do in sport is to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball hardest thing to do in sport, just with the physics and the science behind it. First of all, you are hitting a spherical round object with another spherical round object, which is, means that, that that's pretty tough. But also, the science of the dimensions of the baseball field, you know, 60 feet, 6 inches, that's where the pitcher stands on the rubber to throw to the, to the hitter at the plate. 60 feet, 6 inches is right, really, on the line between possible and impossible when it comes to reacting to hit a moving object for a human being. It's right on the line. And as hard as it is, let me, let me tell you, look, to face a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and to be able to hit that requires the ability to make a decision at 400 milliseconds. You know what 400 milliseconds are? All right, here we go. Those of you at home, do this. 
Pay attention, get off the couch, ready? Okay, those of you here, here's 400 milliseconds. We're gonna do it together, it's blinking three times. So I'm gonna say one, two, three, we'll blink together three times, you ready? One, two, three, one, two, three. That's 400 milliseconds. So in 400 milliseconds, you have to make a decision. You have to identify the pitch, you have to identify whether or not it's a hittable or a strike or not, and then you have to swing. And you have to swing in such a way in which you coordinate everything in which you catch the ball up front and hit it squarely. If you're off by up to seven milliseconds, it's the difference between driving the ball directly and a foul ball. Let's blink three times. One, two, three. That's how hard it is to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. And you wonder, how do they do that? How do people actually do that? Well, they do that through developing a skill, right? We say it's a skill that you train in to learn how to hit a fastball. It's information applied to training applied to actually doing it in the game. You develop a skill. You train. You train your muscles. In fact, if you try to think in hitting a fastball, you will not hit it. It has to happen without thinking. It has to happen in that part of the brain where you say it's automatic. I say hitting is an act of the imagination. Why? Because the process of identifying something, seeing the ball coming at that fast, can't get to your brain fast enough, literally. And so, in effect, what you're hitting is you're hitting what you imagine where the ball's going to be. It's an act of imagination in order to be that fast. Are you tracking with me? Do I sound like a crazy nerd or something? <laughs> Barb, don't say yes too quick now. Hitting a fastball requires skill. Andrew, my son, says it's, it's, you have to feel it, Dad. You can't think it. You just have to feel it. And that feeling is developed over time. It's the application of training over time that gets you in a place where you're able to execute on the skill. Now, I keep saying the word skill because I want to highlight that word because that word is foundational to really the main theme of the letter of James. James was the son of Mary and Joseph, brother of Jesus. He becomes a leader in the church of the first century. And he writes this letter, and the theme of this letter is around a word. The word is wisdom. That's why we call this series, Wise Up, Words to Live By. It's wisdom, and wisdom in its basic meaning is skill. Wisdom means more than information. Wisdom means more than having a data dump of all the right things. Wisdom is taking that data and applying it to life in the right way at the right time for the right results. It is a skill. And when we're talking about the wisdom that, that James is talking about, it, we're really talking about skill as in living our life in a way that we take what God has communicated to us, applying it in the right way at the right time for the right results. And I don't know about you, but I have become more and more aware of the fact that we need wisdom more than ever in our world today. We have plenty of people that have information, that have data. We have these things in our pockets, these mini computers that give us information at our fingertips. We want to know how to get from here to somewhere else that we've never been. What do we do? Whip, whip, whip. We got Google Maps, off we go. We want to know information about 
Uzbekistan and their economy, uh, this is a true story, I just looked it up, uh, you know, everything about Uzbekistan and the historical facts, guess what I'm doing? I'm on the computer, I look it up. I want to know how to spell a word that seems right to me to spell it, but I look it up. Uh, I look it on my, my app and I've got it. I have at my fingertips more information. And in fact, you could say that this younger generation of ours is more educated, more college educated, more connected to data than ever before. We have at our fingertips information, but we don't have wisdom. We're craving the ability to understand what that means and how to apply it to our lives in a manner in which it's applied for good results. And I've got to tell you this, engaging with, with young people, I know that's the one thing that they crave. They cry for wisdom. They're crying for wisdom. They're like, hey, help me figure out how to do life. I may know about it, but there's some stuff that I can't pull up on YouTube and see how it works. I know how to live. I need to learn how to apply this information that I have in a way that's, that's right. You know, remember the book, uh, remember the film uh, Forrest Gump? Remember all the, the sayings there? One of the sayings that he would say, my mama used to say, stupid is as what? Stupid does. What does that mean? Well, that's about wisdom, right? Doesn't matter how smart you are. Mama's wisdom was the smarts has to translate to life. There are many people in our world that stupid is as stupid does. Now, it actually comes from an older phrase that says, handsome is as handsome does, which is really a positive aspect of things. You know, you may look good, you may have everything together, but it doesn't mean anything until that's demonstrated in the way you behave. You apply what your looks look like in a manner that is, that is handsome, that is good. We need wisdom. And the longer you live in life, the longer as you go through life, from, from the time in which you're, you're a teenager, and of course, who, teenagers and people in the young 20s. When I was a teenager in my young 20s, I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew everything. I thought old people were idiots. I thought parents weren't parenting right. I remember Shan and I would sit in a restaurant, we'd look at people with kids, and they were causing a fit, and we'd be like, these people need to do this, this, and this. They need to read these books. <laughs> and then I had my own kids. And then I realized, wow. Reminds me of the saying that Mark Twain said. He said, when I was 16 years old, I thought my dad was the biggest fool in the world. Biggest fool in the world. And I think there is a little bit of that with, to be honest with you, I'm going to be straight with the young people now. There's a little bit of arrogance that they think they have a handle on, on life they went to college, they've been told everything about life, they think they've got it all. We think our parents are the, the dumbest people in the world. But Twain says, when I was 16, I thought my dad was the biggest fool in the world, but when I hit to 21, after I lived some life, after I experienced life, he said, after I hit 21, I was amazed at how much that man had learned. Wisdom. We need wisdom. And the promise of Scripture is this. If you become a follower of God, if you're made right with God through faith in Jesus, you have direct access to the source that provides wisdom for living. Because the person who lives right with God is a person who lives in the wisdom of God. 
And James provides us hope to say, if you're looking for wisdom, and aren't we all, aren't we all looking for doing the right thing in the right way for the right results? If you're looking for wisdom, God provides it. James chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 13. Let's listen to what he says, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every, every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so a couple of takeaways. First of all, takeaway number one, let's remember what the definition of wisdom is. This is our working definition. And so when we go through the scripture, I want you, whenever he says wisdom, I want you to simply think it this way. Wisdom equals skillful living. Wisdom is the ability to apply that which you've taken as truth and apply it to life. It's a skill. It's more than data. It's more than information. It's more than knowing. It's knowing and applying that to life for the results that that wisdom will bring about. Now, I say this because there is this notion that if I just study the Word of God, if I just read the Word of God, if I just memorize the Word of God, then that will be enough to transform my life. Well, the truth is, is that that is only part of the story. God did not create us to be brains on a stick in which he just dumps in information and then our lives operate, you know, the way we think they should operate. No. Wisdom is learning to be obedient to the Word of God, learning the Word of God for the purpose to live by the Word of God. It is bringing about a skillful living, doing it the right way at the right time for the right results. James says, now, there, you understand that there's two kinds of wisdom you can live by. And now he's talking to people in the church here. He's not talking to people outside of the church, so he's talking to people like you and me. You people, you're all in church. So here it is. This is two kinds of wisdom, two choices we have. He says, first of all, you know, he, he kind of demonstrates this by, by, by a really easy concept. There's, there's two kinds of wisdom. He says there's the, the down kind of wisdom, and there's the up kind of wisdom. Down. Wisdom that comes from the down, and then there's wisdom that comes from the up. Down, up. The wisdom that's down comes from the down he calls earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom. Coming from a fallen world where we struggle with the flesh and the systems of the world, and yes, the demonic and this is what he says, earthly wisdom is characterized by disorder in every evil thing. Earthly wisdom, wisdom that comes from the down, produces something in life. If you want to evaluate your life and evaluate what kind of wisdom that you're living by, ask yourself, is my life characterized by disorder and every living thing? 
disorder, pain, angst. And I'm not talking about struggle in that is inevitably that comes in life. I'm talking about the kind of disorder that we would say is, is dysfunctional, disruptive, discouraging, destroying of people. And every evil thing, every evil thing that's defined by God's Word. We're not going to get into here defining evil by our own terms. Oh, that used to be bad, but now it's good. No. What God says is wrong is wrong. What God said is right is right. And if your life is characterized by those things that are defined by God as wrong, then that is testimony to the fact that you're living a life by earthly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from down. Heavenly wisdom is characterized by righteousness, right? What is righteousness? Righteousness is living right with God. That's what it just simply means. To me, it's doing the right thing in the right way for the right results. And James says, if you want to evaluate your life and the kind of wisdom that you have, then you look at your life and you say, well, is my life pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it reasonable? Is it full of mercy and good fruits? Is it unwavering? And without hypocrisy, hypocrisy means two-faced. It means, uh, you know, I, I, I wear Christian suit on Sunday, but I, I, I live like someone else Monday through Saturday. That's hypocrisy. James says that the kind of wisdom, the skillful living I have is determined by the, is, is, is shown by the results of what's happening in my life, and he puts out these couple of list profiles for us to measure. But he also points out this, that the kind of wisdom that I have ultimately is determined by who I go to for it. The kind of wisdom I have is determined by who I follow. If I'm interested in godly wisdom, from above, then I have to orientate my life to look to God for the truth that I live by. But if I orientate my life towards earthly wisdom, I go to the things of the earth, the things of this world, the things that, that uh, originate in me and originate in the ideas of the world that ultimately come from the source, he says, of the demonic, the evil one. And so the question we have to ask and we have to realize is, is who do I follow? You've heard me say this, you know, many of us have, have no problem in calling Jesus my forgiver. Jesus is my savior. The real rubber meets the road struggle is, do we follow Jesus as Lord, which means leader? That's the decision. Jesus laid it out in, 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 in a very unique way that I think captures, captured attention then, it captures our attention now. He preached his first sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount kind of the introduction to his ministry. And in that, he laid out what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God as, as, as he saw it, as he was bringing it. What it means to be a follower of God, if you follow me, is basically the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that sermon, he lays out this challenge. It's a similar challenge that James lays out. Make a decision as to who is your leader. This is what he said. He said, therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, here we go, skill, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's do something. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, if I say something out loud, it has more impact. Right? Have you done that? If you say it out loud, some of you, some of you are like, I always talk to myself, so it's no problem, Didi. It's only when I argue with myself, which, you know, has been interesting to listen to. Some, my wife likes to do that. Anyway, um, she's running lights, so if I go dark, you know what happened, right? But let's do this. And those of you at home, online, please do this with us. Let's do this moment. Let's ask ourselves the question, am I building my life on the rock or on the sand? And we'll just do that together. I'm going to go one, two, three, and we'll just say it. And just say it out loud. And just, just let it stand there out loud because I think there's some impact to, to just say it, all right? So one, two, three. Am I building my life on the rock or on the sand? All right. Am I? Now, it's an evaluative question. If I'm building my life on the rock, then you know then, according to James, that means I'm trying to live by heavenly wisdom, which according to James means my life needs to be characterized in a manner that's, that's listed out here, peaceable, reasonable, pure. If my life is, is filled with disorder and evil, then perhaps then the answer to the question is that now I've made the decision to live my life, build my life on the sand, or I'm, I'm playing the game of, of paying lip service to God on Sunday, but ignoring Him for the rest of my life. I read the Word of God and I study the Word of God, but that's all it is. I do that so I might feel better and not feel guilty or feel like I'm doing enough to not get struck down. But... That's all it is. Ultimately, what I'm building my life on is earthly wisdom, and the results we're going to show by it. Am I building my life on the rock or on the sand? What would look, our lives look like if we lived by heavenly wisdom? What would our Lives look like if they were characterized as pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. What would our lives look like if we became people that developed the skill that God gives for living and we learned to live right with God by doing what is right in the right way at the right time for the right results? How would that transform our marriages? How, how would that transform our child-rearing? How would it transform our ability to grandparent? How would that transform uh, our, our ability to be citizens in this world or to be neighbors to our neighbor folk? How would that transform our ability to go to school? How would that transform our decisions about life and perhaps our orientation towards those few that God brings into our life by whom we can provide examples, not just of information, but more importantly, we might share the wisdom that God has given to us 
with them so that they may learn how to live life in the right way at the right time according to God's will, living by God's word. Let me just say this. This younger generation, and I'm talking teens and 20s, those of us who are now more advanced, you're welcome, more seasoned, just because you're advanced and seasoned doesn't make you wise, right? But ultimately, if we are more advanced and seasoned in the walk of faith, I'm telling you, there's a craving for wisdom. Which means then we have to get close. We have to get close to some young people, some younger folks in the faith, and open up our hearts to them because they're craving, they, they don't want to more, know more stuff. They want to learn how to live wisely. And maybe we can be the encouragement on how to do that. But we first have to learn to do that ourselves, to build a house on the rock and not on the sand to have our lives demonstrate the fruits that are attractive to them because they'll look at their lives and say, my life right now is filled with disorder and evil, yet your life is filled with purity and peace and reasonableness and joy and happiness and love and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What would look like, what would happen if we made the commitment to seek the leadership of God, not because, not just in, in theory, but in practice, to seek the leadership of Jesus so that we might live by the wisdom that he provides. Because James will say, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God in faith. And the prayer offered up in a, by a righteous person will bring about good results. What would happen if we began to commit ourselves to really building our lives on the rock by committing ourselves to living by heavenly up wisdom, not down wisdom. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.